Well, good morning. Thank you for being here today. Those of you joining us online, thank you for joining us right now from wherever you are. Um, you know what? I, from time to time, life just gives you this reminder of something that happens for every single one of us in life. And so I thought, I got that reminder recently, and I, let's just walk through it, shall we? And instead of tell you about it, um, I want to show you this thing that happens. And it's, it's really true of all of us. Okay, so let me start from age zero to 21, okay? This was my life, okay? I, by the way, that's, <laughs> that's me. I'm Nathan if we haven't met, okay? But it, just from zero to 21, I mean, yes, my parents were there and my sister was there and there were a couple pets, but you just revolve around you, don't you? So, so this was my life from zero to 21. Just, just shy of 22 years old, I married my wife, Kara. And um, this, is, uh, this is a picture of her right after she gave birth. I'm, I'm just kidding, but she's... Uh, the, I just was walking by one day. I waved to this girl, said, how are you? And she said, marry me, please marry me. That's exactly how it, that's how it happened, isn't it, honey? All right. Well, I got the microphone. So um, any... <laughs> I'm in trouble later. Anyway, so... And it was us for a couple of years, me and Kara. And then um, there were no children yet, but we got this creature that I just told myself, I will always hate this, these creatures because I never grew up liking cats. And day one, Kara brings home Miko, and I just fell in love with this cat. And I went, what the heck? I like cats? What is happening to me? Anyway, so that was our life for a few more years. And then our firstborn child, Lainey, came along. And um, suddenly, I, I'm like outnumbered by three females in our household. And so it was like that for a few years. And then another girl came along, True. True came along. And um, so now I'm like significantly outnumbered. And then a few years later, along came help, Lincoln. <laughs> Lincoln came along. And now, Listen, before I move to the next picture, does anybody notice what is happening throughout this series of pictures? Yeah, I mean, listen, let's just be honest. There's a little what about me going on right now, isn't there? Well, a few years ago, we added a dog, and this is my life now, right here. Take a look. Yep. That's my life. My forehead, five head. That's my life right there, all right? I'm glad this is amusing for you <laughs> right now. Isn't it true that what about me sits under the surface for every single one of us? And it doesn't matter how old you are. This is something that just sits there over and over and over. In fact, this year, this month, being January, you know, we make resolutions. And who do we often make a resolution? Who do we have in mind when we make a resolution? It's us. I have me in mind. Even if it's to help somebody out, you know, I, I want to feel good about me. I want to do something for somebody else so that I feel good about me. Or maybe I want to pour into me. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. But that's just where we live. Now, I bring all that up because that thing in you that wants to do something, you want to create something, you want something to happen, that is actually the image of God in you. If we are made in the image of our Heavenly Father, He is a creator which means you've got this natural thing going on in your heart where you want to put something out there into the world. It's stirring inside, and, and from time to time, it rises up. And, and sometimes it takes a very specific form, but we want to put something out there. Now, 
that really is the image of God on you. But here's the thing. A couple weeks ago, we jumped into this passage in John chapter one that seems to completely fly in the face of that. You remember John chapter one, John the Baptist is, he's baptizing one day and he's got some followers and he's baptizing and we read that he's there day after day after day, diligently doing what John the Baptist does, baptizing people. And he sees Jesus on the horizon and he just stops. He stops in the middle of everything he's doing. He says, look, there he is. There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we read in John chapter one, as we've talked about these last couple of weeks, that immediately two of John the Baptist's followers left him. They left him. Now, if you were to just stop right there, doesn't that kind of fly in the face of that what about me that just sits there in the heart? I mean, if, if John is in our shoes and if he's a resolutions guy, I doubt losing influence was on his list to start the year. And so John points these followers to Jesus. They go follow Jesus. They spend a day with Jesus as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And it's really interesting because these followers who started that day thinking they were following John the Baptist, that their life was going in this direction, that they knew what they were up to, that they had a purpose in life. By the end of the day, it has been completely turned upside down. And as you follow the stories of those two disciples who stayed that day with Jesus, one, as we'll see in just a minute, and we'll dive into in a, in a moment, is a man named Andrew. And then many believe that second disciple was John, who wrote the gospel of John, the account of Jesus. And so these two, if you follow their stories, you see that over the, the following few years, their lives are completely upended. It's like none of their plans None of what they had in mind. And, and you read about it a few times. I mean, they had visions of power and, and being favored and sitting at the very right hand of God. And Jesus gives them a totally different message. He says, no, you're, you're going to serve. You will serve. And it's just probably not what they would have had on their list of resolutions if they were walking around today. And so as the story, progress, story progresses, you see that there's, there's an abrupt change. And really, it could be summed up by what John the Baptist said a couple chapters after John chapter 1. He made this statement when his followers were worried about people going to be baptized by Jesus and he's losing more followers. He says, he must become greater and I must become less. And you hear that message and you think about that what about me that sits there in our hearts and you think, well, how does that work? How does that work? And yet, if you were to follow the stories of those disciples, and if you were to follow what Jesus taught those disciples, and if you were to, to learn about what happened, and as, if you were to follow that all the way to the end of their lives, you know what you'd find? You'd find lives that so impacted the world, that still affect what we do today as we gather as a church, that you realize no New Year's resolution could have gotten them there. That was an impact that they could not have resolutioned their lives into. It just, you just can't do it. It was going to take something far beyond them. It was going to take the influence, the word, the spirit of God. And that's what happened. And so, as you think about this, and you think, gosh, I, I, I mean, I don't know anybody in here that would say, I don't want that kind of impact. I don't want that kind of life. Of course you do. There is nothing better than God using you in the life of somebody else. But as we come back to the passage that we've been in the last couple of weeks in John chapter one, I wanna read just three verses out of it that we, that we have not camped out in yet. 
what you're going to see is there's a dynamic. There's a dynamic that, that sits inside all of us that comes up as we read this passage. The first, the first of this dynamic is this thing that sits inside of us that says, who am I? I mean, we get so concerned about who we are in the eyes of other people, don't we? I mean, it, it's with us from, from a very early age. Listen to John chapter 1, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. Now, let me just ask you something real quick. How many of you in here are siblings? You're a sibling. Okay. Let me ask you something else. How many of you that just raised your hands want to be known and remembered as the brother or sister of? <laughs> yeah, not many. Not many. I mean, I, I have my sister up here. She's not here, but... All right. I could tell you, my sister, you know what I hear from her over and over? Nathan, you know how tired I am of being asked, are you Nathan's sister? I'm like, well, I'm not tired of that. That sounds great, Kyla. Let's, let's keep going with that. But see, here's Andrew. Now think about this. You can just hear him and John just going back and forth in eternity right now. Okay, here's Andrew, John. It was you and me, day one. Remember, we were like the first Two, to follow Jesus. It's just you and me. And you get the opportunity to write something that's going to be in a book that is read for centuries upon centuries upon centuries by millions and millions and millions of people. And you're going to label me Simon Peter's brother? I mean, who wants that? Who wants that legacy? Meanwhile, you know what John does? If you follow John, John, John likes to highlight John a little bit. He'll say things without saying his name. He'll say things like, well, the disciple that Jesus loved, <laughs> the disciple that Jesus loved, or, or on the very last night of Jesus' life, they're sitting at the Last Supper, they're at the table, and John just subtly says, the disciple that Jesus loved reclined against him. I was there for him, guys. Let it be known for everybody who ever reads this for all time, I was the one that was closest to him. And then after Jesus dies and, and he rises from the dead, there's an account in John, in John chapter 20. John uh, says that Peter started running for the tomb. And you know what John says in there? He just slides in this little detail. He says, but the disciple that Jesus loved got there first. Let it be known by the millions over the centuries that I'm a faster runner than Peter. Okay, let it just be known. Meanwhile, you come back to Andrew. And Andrew's got to be thinking, I mean, Peter, Peter gets mentioned all over. John, you get mentioned all over. King David, he's all over scripture. Andrew, Andrew's got like a handful. Andrew's got a very small handful. In fact, there are four lists of the disciples throughout the New Testament. Do you want to know who starts every single one of those lists? Peter. Peter, how does that feel if you're the sibling of it's just Peter all the time. Peter gets first in the list. You know where Andrew is on every single one of those lists? Not second, not third, fourth. Remember fourth place? Remember field day? There were blue ribbons for first. There were red ribbons for second, white ones for third. And what did fourth get? Green, green. I, I have none of my green ribbons from elementary school. 
The blue ones are still hanging from my rearview mirror in my car. It's still just every day. I'm like, that's, that's right. Moment of glory, sixth grade. <laughs> so, but this is what we do. We get so concerned about what, what we are in the eyes of other people. I remember a few years ago, I went to my 20th high school reunion. Columbine High School, and it was over at Pinehurst Country Club, and the whole time, I mean, they let us know months in advance, and I'm thinking, I'm not going. I'm just not going. I haven't talked to anybody. I don't really want to see anybody. And then suddenly I went, but this is like once, once in a lifetime, because you know after like 30 and 40 years, they, people just stop coming. Okay, so I thought, I should go. So the day before the reunion, I was like, you know what, I'm going. Bought a ticket, bought one for Kara. And what do you think I thought about all day Friday and all day Saturday until the reunion that night? I mean, it was like being back in high school again. Oh, my gosh, what are people going to think? Do I need to rent a Lamborghini to pull up in right now? Should I, like, have a butler with me? I mean, what are people going to think? So finally I went, no, we're just going to drive our minivan to the reunion. Just pull into the parking lot, expecting to see like Lamborghinis and Ferraris and limos and Corvettes is the most amazing sight to behold. There were 20, 25 minivans just lined up. I was like, awesome, awesome. But there's that thing that just sits there. Who am I in the lives of other people? It sits there and it never goes away. But there's a second element that comes up. It's this thing that focuses on how much I do or how much I've done. Look at verse 41. John 1.41, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. Now, can I be honest? Did you notice the, the two things there? It was find and tell. Find and tell? That just doesn't sound very exhilarating. Find and tell doesn't sound all that huge and world-changing. So you know what you and I want when we've made an incredible discovery? We want pursue, we want chase, I want to chase down, I want to conquer, and I want to fix. That's what we want, isn't it? And yet here's, here's Andrew, find and tell. And it wasn't even find and tell like anybody that would have been of massive importance in his life. It was his sibling, his brother. The one who one day would be put in front of him on every single list, whose name would appear in scripture far more than his, and yet it's find and tell. There's an author named Brian Ficker. He wrote a book called When Helping Hurts. And what he really talks about are, are the missions programs that, that the church carries out, especially the American church. He says one of the things that happens in the American church is they've got a heart for missions, which is that is absolutely of God. It's a great thing. But what happens is the American church, we get it turned around because in America, we define poverty as strictly or mostly, I should say mostly material. It's a, a lack of material things. And so our perception of the rest of the world and third world countries is let's go meet a material need, which is absolutely crucial. But Brian Fickert in his, in his book says, but what happens is we overlook the opportunity we have to, when we get there, to sit down and ask them, what is your greatest need? And he asserts in his book that if the American church could take that step, you know what you'd hear? 
You'd hear about material needs somewhere in there, but it is rarely, if ever, the first thing on the list because the rest of the world defines poverty not first and foremost as a lack of material things, but it's dignity, it's shame, it's value, it's human worth. But oftentimes, in our rush to want to go fix things, we can run over people, can't we? There's a story put out by a missionary to Africa who said that somebody in a village there that she met with said, honestly, um, working with Americans when they come on missions trips is kind of like an elephant and a mouse dancing together. The elephant gets so caught up in his dancing that he turns in horror at the end and realizes that he has stepped on and crushed the mouse. He said, oftentimes, she said, oftentimes that's what it feels like because we get so focused on our doing. And if we could just measure, 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 measure. And if we could just pat ourselves on the back because our numbers improved and our numbers improved. See, it's going on inside all of us. Churched or not, it happens inside the human heart. But there's a third dynamic going on as we walk through this life. There's who am I in the eyes of other people? There's what do I do or how much have I done? And then there's also how does it turn out? Aren't we so interested in outcomes? But read John chapter one, verse 42. Very simple, at the very beginning of it. He found Simon and told him we found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. (laughs) You read that and you go, and then what? Like what small group did he get plugged into? What, what program did they get him plugged into? What, what metrics were, were shifted? And, and I'm not knocking metrics or measurement. They, they do give us valuable feedback. But for Andrew, it was simple. He said, I'm not even gonna run down the road to that stuff until, until I've brought him to Jesus. No details given no process, no formula, no, no telling them how this is going to go and first you're going to do this and, and the same story for everybody. It might be, but it might not. But oftentimes, this sits underneath all of us. Now, you read, you read these three verses, and I got to be honest, here's what happened inside me. This seems kind of underwhelming. And it seems really underwhelming. I mean, Andrew, I, I, sometimes I yell at the Bible and it's just like, Andrew, fight for yourself. I mean, your brother, your sibling's about to get all kinds of mention and glory and not so glory as well. But, but I mean, Peter just, Peter's name is all over the place. And Andrew, it's like I can count on one hand how many times I, I see you and encounter you in scripture. And don't, you, don't you care about that? And that's that thing that sits underneath us. Who am I? How much have I done? How does it turn out? And so you read this and I I sit there and I think, gosh, you know, if I could have had John's pen and if I could have been somehow also writing about Nathan, you know, if if we could all sit in the place of Andrew, there is a level to all of us that would probably write these three verses differently. It might sound like this. Andrew, as in St. Andrew, Andrew who has cathedrals named after him, Andrew, who there's a St. Andrew's church in every single state. Andrew, who is the patron saint of Russia. Andrew, who, who pointed Jesus to the little boy with, with bread and fish. Andrew, who helped get one of the most well-known miracles of Jesus going. That Andrew. Yeah, Andrew. Andrew was one of the two who heard what John had said. Andrew 
was one of the very, very, very first followers of Jesus. I mean, there were others, but Andrew was one of the first ever, 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 just to emphasize ever, Andrew. I mean, he's that big a deal. Andrew was one of the first too. The first thing Andrew did, because he had such an incredible burden on the heart for people, for people far and near, the first thing Andrew did was drop his pride, what an incredible person, Andrew, and go to his, his stumbling and bumbling and at times wicked brother. See, that's how we, we like to think of it, don't we? And he goes to his brother, and I think we'd like to say, if it was us, I, I've, I've exhausted myself intellectually and mentally and physically to bring you the greatest news ever. And then Andrew, with all his willpower, with all his New Year's resolve, picked up the dead weight that is his brother and dragged him to Jesus. And then he told Jesus how to fix him. And he gave them the perfect strategy for it. See, isn't that that thing that rises up in us where we just think, yeah, this is, this is how I would do it. And see, that's what sin has done to us. It has so permeated us that at some level, we, get, we start to get after our own glory, don't we? That, that fingerprint of God inside of us that wants that truly wants to create something and do something, put something out there that's lasting and eternal, it gets, it gets permeated by sin. And we begin to go after our own glory. And we begin to put ourselves in the picture. And the statement becomes the opposite of what John said. We begin to, we'd never utter these words, but we begin to think, I must become greater. He must become less. It reminds me of a story I saw on the news, and maybe you saw this this week. There's a, um, a financial trader in San Francisco, and I don't know if you've heard of Bitcoin. It's, it's a relatively new digital currency, but Bitcoin uh, has just recently just been skyrocketing. And one Bitcoin, however the whole process works, I don't even get it, is worth nearly 40,000 U.S. dollars. Well, a trader in San Francisco remembered that years ago when Bitcoin was worth basically nothing, he realized he had 7,000 Bitcoins in this digital wallet. And he went, oh my goodness, I got to get to that. And so he went to wherever he, he goes to log into this and he had the moment we've all had. Put in his username and then he put in the password. It's the wrong password. Yeah, you, we all know that feeling, don't we? And then he put in the password again and it was wrong. And then he put it in again and it was wrong. And apparently when it comes to, to Bitcoin, you don't just contact customer service and get a new password. I mean, it has to be decrypted. It has to be. And so what they told him was, you've got two tries left. And after that, it is encrypted forever. You will never get it back. And I have to think that's often how it feels for those who stand outside the church and they watch. They watch us because they think if it's, if it's up to me to decrypt how you get to Jesus, it sure seems like you've got to be pretty amazing to get there. And it's just a very high wall to get over. And so can we come back to the passage? And I just want to read what it says. And I just want to show you something that Andrew had to have encountered in order to move forward. Listen to John chapter 1, verse 40 through 42. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, 
was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. See, that's what it actually says. And you know what? I think Andrew is not in eternity right now squabbling with John. I think Andrew was at that time and is perfectly fine with how that's written. You want to know why? Because of the verse that comes right before it. We read it a couple weeks ago. Verse 39. Jesus has invited these two disciples, followers of John the Baptist, to come see where he's at. Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. See, in Scripture, Andrew is the brother of Peter. But when you have sat in the presence of Jesus for a day, you think that label matters? No, no. You think, you think the plan to go change the world matters when you've sat in the presence of all that Jesus is? No. And for that day, it, it wouldn't have been like this for Andrew because the cross hadn't happened yet. But for you and I, do you know what happens when you sit and you soak in the presence of Jesus? I mean, all kinds of things could be going on. And if you've tried it, maybe it's been puzzling. Maybe you've wondered what you ought to do. Can I recommend a starting point? Sit with that image in mind. Because see, often what we do is we run out the door and I see that they need the cross and they need the cross and they need to know that Jesus died for their sins. But we forget to let ourselves receive that message. That sin has so permeated that at any given time in my life, I'm after my own glory and you're after your own glory. But to sit in the presence of Jesus is to be reminded that there is no glory greater than the God of the universe went to the cross to make things right between you and him. Can you imagine that? What if that sank in? I have a feeling that who I am in other people's eyes and how much I've done and how it turns out, (laughs) it begins to dim a little bit. It begins to fade away, doesn't it? You want to know why? Because I think for Andrew and for you and for me, that time with Jesus, that time with him, informs our time with them. In other words, when this gets lined up, then all of this lines up. But too often we start here and then we get all kinds of sideways. And sometimes we just forget about this completely. But our time with him informs our time with them. Would that begin to change some of the things that we need when we interact with people? It's something I've had to be reminded of over and over and over. Oftentimes, it's my own insecurity that I'm looking for something in an interaction. When I come back here, you know what the cross says? You're fine. You are my beloved. You are my child. And that's a statement coming from the holy God of the universe. And so this has some very real practical implications for our day-to-day. When, when our time with him informs our time with them, a couple things happen. A few things happen. First of all, earthly estimates and opinions of you, they begin to matter less and less and less, don't they? Keep in mind we're in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we, we jumped in in the middle of it, but John chapter 1 starts not with us, but with him. 
the holy and sovereign God of the universe. And he points at Jesus and he says, in him are all things. Through him are all things. There is life, there is light, and there is fullness. See, when you've spent a day in that, then earthly opinions and estimates of you, they begin to matter less and less and less because you come back to what that God did for you and for me. Second, the second thing that happens is not just that earthly opinions and estimates of us, they begin to matter less and less, but you begin to see everything is an opportunity for somebody to encounter Jesus. Everything becomes an opportunity for somebody to encounter Jesus. And sometimes that's gonna be across the world and sometimes that's gonna be out our front door. And you discover that everywhere you go, Jesus' statement, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. You find neighbors every single place you go, whether it's a cubicle at work, at your physical home, here in church, as you're at the grocery store. But you begin to realize even the smallest opportunities that we tend to overlook, that's a really big opportunity. And finally, you know what else happens? You begin to let go of outcomes. You begin to let go of what the outcome needs to be. I mean, this last year should remind us of this. I do not know a person alive who was alive when the last global pandemic happened. And so this last year should be a reminder for us that we have no control anyway. And so for, for the younger ones, they are facing dynamics that the generations before them have never faced before. And so it might look like the way the generations before them did it, and it might not. But we have to let go of outcomes and know that the sovereign God of the universe, that Jesus has it in his hands, he knows. I guess all this stirs within me as I, as I read this because I'm reminded, of, I'm reminded of two people who had a much larger impact on me than they will ever, ever, ever know. And they may look at what they did as, as so simple or so small or as only one tiny slice time period in our lives. But that first person is, is a guy named Ryan Wellborn. He was one of my best friends when we were in junior high and high school. And Ryan Wellborn, I remember we had, we had a class at Columbine, sophomore year together. And Ryan Wellborn just truly did not worry about what people thought of him. And I remember thinking that was always so different about him. And I later discovered why that was with his faith journey. But you'll never believe how he got me to come to church. We had this class together, sophomore year. We're sitting in these two desks ne next to each other. The teacher's lecturing. He's like, Nathan. It's like, ah, after class, I don't want to get in trouble. You know, and he's like, oh, Nathan, Nathan, check it out. And I turn and he's got... He's got like this skin right here above your eye folded and he takes a safety pin and he just runs it through it. And then his first words, you should come to youth group with me. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what just happened, but church sounds awesome. Like that sounds incredible. And that was all it took. And I came that night, he gave me no details. He gave me no promise of anything. It was just, just come with me. The second person who, who has largely impacted me, and they, they may not realize how big what they did at the beginning of my faith journey was, is Steve Vandewert. And he, he's a guy that uh, many of you know, but Steve, you know what he simply did? He literally brought me to the place where I'd hear about Jesus. 
I mean, Ryan Wellborn didn't have a driver's license. I didn't have a driver's license. And so our ride every single week was Steve Vandewert. My parents were like, who's this guy that's, that's picking you and Wellborn up? And I was like, I have no idea. Um, and, and it was because we could, like, I think the first time, Steve, you picked me up in, like, a Ford Bronco. And I could smell the gasoline before you ever got to our house. But I just remember thinking, like, I'm dizzy, and so maybe that's the Holy Spirit or something when I got home. And... And, I, and then the next week, it was like this blue station wagon that eventually became a clown car with how many kids he drove to and from youth group. And then finally, it was this roadrunner that was the most incredible car I've ever ridden in. I mean, I remember Steve dropped me off one night, and my dad was like, is that a roadrunner? Did you just get dropped off in a roadrunner? I was like, yeah. And he got nitrous boost in it. And my dad was like, ooh, don't tell your mom or you'll never get to go to youth group again. <laughs> But I just remember, I look back, and I go, man, giving somebody a ride somewhere doesn't seem like that big a deal. Now, shoving a safety pin through, through here, that's a big deal. Don't do it. There are better ways to invite people to church, okay? But it was a simple invitation, come and see, and then bringing to Jesus, bringing to church, bringing to the body of Christ as the worship team comes back up here. May it be our prayer in the coming days, weeks, months, years that we would look upon our time with Jesus and be reminded that that time with him completely informs every single interaction we have with people, every moment of our lives. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are reminded over and over and over again that it's so simple. For all of our formulas and complexities and plans that we've got, that if we would just get into your presence, if we would just get into your presence, it would take care of so much of what's going on underneath us. The who, who am I? How much have I done? How is it gonna turn out? You deal with all of that. So would you remind us, would you stir us to get in your presence? And, and if we can think of nothing else to ponder on, let us think upon the cross where you took care of each of those things inside of us. Let our time with you inform our time with people. That whether we cross the globe or whether we step out our front door, that we would see what you did, not just for us, but for somebody else and learn to love from that place because everything flows out of there. I pray that you'd give us increasing opportunities to meet people's needs, uh, to be able to show them what you did for us, and then outwardly be able to pour into their lives so that when they ask, we can point them back to you. I pray that you would establish who we are, first and foremost, our identities in your eyes, not any, any human eyes. And finally, Heavenly Father, we lift up the outcome of all of it to you. These are certainly uncertain times. And so we bring it to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.